I became even more sure that what we accept from the world out there, we aren't even allowing ourselves to call it abuse, you know, or exploitation or harmful behavior. Welcome to the Dale Allen Podcast. You can find me on the web at daleallen.net and on YouTube at Dale Allen. It's so long, so long this podcast recording with Karen Tate occurred shortly after I returned from Chicago and the Parliament of the World's Religions. I was on a team of women who co-created the first ever women's village at the Parliament. We had met for almost a year on Zooms to co-create what ultimately was a warm, welcoming, incredible space I set up a video interview suite inside the Women's Village, and while I was there, I interviewed 71 women. It was an incredible experience to be on the receiving end of women from all around the world who came and spoke from their hearts. I can tell you that it left me feeling inspired and peaceful, knowing that the hearts of women around the world really beat as one, and that the love of women cannot be stopped. And you'll find out about all of this in this upcoming series of interviews that I'll be offering. So stay tuned for more information about that. And now, my guest, Karen Tate. Karen Tate is an independent scholar, speaker, radio show host, published author, and social justice activist. For almost three decades, her work has been fueled by her intense interest and passion for travel, comparative religions, ancient cultures, and the resurging interest in the rise of the feminine consciousness. Karen is striving toward a world where abuse and exploitation are taboo. So, Karen, I'm going to ask you something that I asked all the women at the Parliament of the World's Religions, and it's up to you to answer in any way you would like to. What is your faith or spiritual practice or religion? Well, I guess the official uh, label, if you will, is uh, Sacred Feminine Liberation Theology, theology with the A, <laughs> um, or, uh, you know, goddess spirituality. You know, I coined the phrase goddess advocate when I wrote my first book, uh, Sacred Places of Goddess, because I didn't feel like there was a label out there that really fit me. You know, I didn't see myself as a pagan. I wasn't just a feminist. Um, what didn't really think I was a Wiccan. So, um, yeah, I think that's the best way I can answer you. Because, you know, I really look at goddess as deity, archetype, and ideal. And, uh, you know, over the years, that's evolved and grown. Uh, I see the sacred feminine now as a vehicle for ascension. I think all the values are there, the archetypes are there uh, to help us evolve into better humans to make the world a better place. Yes, I agree with that. I resonate to the archetypes as well. And I love that they are the models that they are, the inner images that they are that affect us. And then there's also, when it comes to God, goddess, they're alive, they're transcendent. They can't even be contained in, in what we know as an archetype. Yeah. But I do love to incorporate the archetypes because the ones that are more active, I mean, they're all there, but the ones that have energy affect us and affect our cultures. So yeah. I love the archetypes too. One of the other things I love about archetypes is that it helps me to talk about goddess or sacred feminine in a way that's not about uh, being a religion. 
I have no interest in, in being an affrontery to anybody's faith or spiritual practice where it's at its core filled with love and kindness and care for others in the earth. I address also anybody who's agnostic or atheist or whatever the message applies. Yeah. Tell me about your, your current work, your current passion. Well, I'll tell you, you know, I've, uh, I've been writing about the sacred feminine for years, uh, probably 30 years. It started with the sacred places book. Uh, after my husband and I traveled across five continents, uh, we married our interest of spirituality, ancient cultures and goddess and uh, started going to these places. And it was such um a powerful experience for me to stand in places where goddess was once revered and it was at the center of people's worlds that we actually came home and started doing some of the first goddess tours and i mean some of the places that are in my sacred places book people didn't even know about yet and probably still don't even know about you know so that was a whole lot of fun um, and then, you know, gradually I talked about how to incorporate goddess into your life, why she's important, uh, you know, the egalitarian aspects, all of that. But what, what really started to become more important to me was not that someone embraced goddess, but that someone embraced goddess values. I remember when the Dalai Lama came out and said it would be Western women that would save the world. Well, <laughs> um, I really believed that it wasn't necessarily going to be women, but I thought it was going to be sacred feminine values that could help us save our world. So I became part of Rhianna Eisler's Center for Partnership Studies, and I started giving you know, talks on partnership, connecting the dots so that people could reconcile their spirituality and their politics. Um, and, you know, make sure they're, you know, voting for someone that's going to uphold their values, so to speak, and um, trying to make sure we weren't, we were walking our talk and it wasn't just patriarchy in a skirt. So that uh, social justice aspect of it really became major for me. I think by the fourth, fifth book, um, those were anthologies about manifesting a new normal. And it was about how can we take these values, these ideas of the sacred feminine, you don't have to believe she's out there, but you know, let's call these values sacred feminine values. How do we take those and provide um, a new roadmap to manifest a new normal? You know, So that really became uh, what you know, got me up in the morning, right? And, uh, you know, so I started doing the podcast Voices of the Sacred Feminine um, for 13 years. And that was really incredible. I mean, so many foremothers and way showers who have now passed on, their voices live on, you know, in Voices of the Sacred Feminine, we can go back and hear them and their wisdom, you know. But but the most immediate thing that triggered me, Dale, was um, my husband and I really fell onto hard times in 2018. Um, I was attacked by somebody wielding a stun gun. Uh, I didn't know for a long time. I actually had PTSD. I just knew I was changing and I couldn't figure out why. And not long after that, while I was trying to deal with the PTSD trauma, uh, my husband fell and hit his head, and, and uh, now he has a traumatic brain injury. Um, we lost our jobs. We lost all of our income. We had to move to a place 
that was unfamiliar. It was far from all of our friends. We were isolated. And um, I, I call it now, looking back on it, uh, that's when we were parked in the handicap zone. <laughs> Uh, because, you know, we were there for a few years, and during that time, uh, there was a lot of healing and reflection going on. For a time, I felt like I was just a tree with bare branches. I didn't know if anything would ever sprout again. I didn't know if I'd ever find inspiration and motivation again, but it did come. And, um, and it came in the form of this, this latest book that came out in January called Normalizing Abuse, because, you know, I knew about feminism. I knew about patriarchy. I knew about what Rian Eisler talked about, you know, domination uh, versus partnership societies. And I was always out there fighting for women's rights, fighting for the underdog, fighting so that all of our boats are lifted. What I came to realize is I started peeling back more layers. And I realized that even before the stun gun incident that I had been um, a victim of abuse and I had stopped it. And I started seeing how so many people were enduring abuse to survive. We were even out of touch, I think, with language. We'd become so numb. Um, and that they, and we were regaled every day with lies, with manufactured consent, with, you know, all of these um, forces that were sort of just bearing down on us. And I felt like unless we could find the, the courage to open our eyes and shed light on this abuse we were normalizing in so many aspects of our life, I'm not just talking about domestic violence, that um, maybe we might not ever do anything about it. It might just keep getting worse and worse and we would normalize more and more and more that we should be saying, stop, you know, this is exploitation, this is domination, this is oppression, um, and we're just, accepting it as normal and we can't keep doing that. So the book became, starts out with my journey and raised awareness of myself as an abuse survivor. And uh, it goes into different aspects of our lives, whether it be academia, religion, the military, society and culture, corporations, the workplace, all of that, all of these different areas of our lives where we're normalizing abuse. And I wonder if we really think about it. Um, and then it goes into some easy to understand brain science, why humans do the things they do to just sort of understand how we fall prey to, to this and some you know solutions to heal the trauma. You had mentioned to me that in this process, when you were, were in the, the handicapped zone, and that was when you realized that you had experienced abuse that you had, you used the word stuffed. The book that you wrote and everything that you just outlined, who is the book for? In other words, how do you help a person to realize that they might have suffered abuse that they too have stuffed. It would be great to give me some examples. Who you wrote the book for? Is it someone like you before you realized what you had experienced? 
Um, and give me some examples of the normalization, what somebody perhaps today doesn't call abuse because it's just the way things are. Sure. And you are maybe recontextualizing or redefining things. Sure. Um, honestly, um, I think if you're an abuse survivor already and you know you're an abuse survivor, you have some clues maybe that the average person doesn't have about abuse in your life. That's not to say that the book wouldn't open your eyes to more, you know, other aspects of your life. Maybe you have not seen the normalization, but I really wanted the average person who thought, gee, I had a great childhood. Gee, I had great employers. Uh, gee, my religion is wonderful. Uh, to read this and just have an open mind and be willing to look at maybe the narrative that they created for themselves versus maybe what was true. Um, for instance, I'll give you an example. I was in a woman's circle and I was polling the title because I was going to call the book Battered and Bruised. And uh, I wanted to see how that landed. And I decided against it because then people thought the book was just about domestic violence and it's, it's not. Um, and anyways, we were going around the circle. Uh, some of these women were saying, I haven't had abuse in my life. And then, and then somebody would say something about, well, how their husband treated them. And then they'd go, well, you know what? I guess maybe that was abuse or how their, you know, how their family always told them they would never amount to anything um, or, um, you know, they were stupid or they were ugly or they were fat. I became even more sure that what we accept from the world out there we aren't even allowing ourselves to call it abuse, you know, or exploitation or or harmful behavior. And and I'll give you a couple of examples that maybe on the face might seem innocuous because, you know, this is a broad spectrum. You know, uh, abuse and exploitation runs the gamut from um, the subtle you know, and insidious to just blatant, outright murder, thievery, you know, and all the rest, the stuff everybody can obviously see, you know. Um, and so, for instance, um, think about a non-disclosure agreement, for instance. You know, a non-disclosure agreement uh, for a long time had just been standard operating procedure in a company that, uh, you know, if you left, maybe they wanted you to sign a non-disclosure uh, agreement so you didn't take the company's secrets and, and go use them at a competitor, you know, fair enough. Well, now you look at how people doing bad and evil things use non-disclosure agreements to cover up their evil deeds. That's you know? an example of institutionalized forms of abuse. Now, you're helping your readers and the people who are coming to you to recognize where things have normalized and you're pointing out the abusive nature of these normalized, institutionalized ways of being in our culture that really should be pointed out. You also mentioned that your your book gives pathways, you know, solutions or next steps, a helpful way once recognized to move forward. Can you give some examples of that? Sure. Well, you know, I think a lot of this is going to be very personal. 
but uh, for me, it started with self-care. Uh, I really had, had been someone who was always, you know, really taking care of everybody else. And uh, I had to really learn to put the, you know, the oxygen mask on myself first. And that self-care came in lots of different forms. You know, the more traditional, uh, in the beginning when I was uh, diagnosed with PTSD, I, you know, for a short period of time, I used antidepressants. I also did um, talk therapy. I did, you know, things that I, I think were more alternative modalities like uh, tapping, mindfulness, shamanic journeying. You know, there was also the uh, breathing exercises. I found lots of ways to give myself space to sort of distract myself from the traumas. I be became a voracious reader. That was something I really enjoyed. I was out in nature a lot. Also yes. massage, yes. you know, um, lots of different things that I think all of those combined. Gratitude, gratitude was a huge, uh, a huge thing so that I could, despite everything we were going through and everything we had lost. And it was also about seeing the gift, a gift in all the hardship. Uh, because when I started seeing the positives of what came out of all of this, that made such a difference. I mean, um, the growth that came out of the loss. May I ask you, you've just explained how your perspective, you found the treasure and the gold in something that was so difficult and painful. And because you found this treasure, you're, you're turning around and sharing it with others, which is truly an act of love. How is your husband doing? You know, I am so happy to say, um, you know, we ended up moving off the mountain. <laughs> and as an example of making, um, you know, treasure out of trash, uh, if I can just briefly tell you that um, I had to have a hysterectomy and we were isolated and I had no one to drive me home from the hospital because my husband couldn't drive with his brain injury. And I called up an old friend who I knew was retired and, you know, didn't have a job commitment. And I said, look, can you just please pick me up from the hospital and drive me home? And she said, oh, gee, Karen, it's such a long drive. Can't you tough it out and drive yourself home? And I said, you know, my, I said, this isn't a laparoscopic surgery. This is going to be more along the lines of a cesarean. No, I can't. But thank you. And you know what? That turned out to be such a gift, Dale, because it was the final straw on the camel's back that made me realize we had to move. And uh, we moved to Southern Oregon, and the new environment has my husband doing so incredibly well. Um, he is optimistic. He is feeling better. He isn't isolated now. He has people to talk to. His cognitive abilities have improved. Um, you know, he's, he's just full of happiness and gratitude and, you know, it, this sounds crazy, but I wonder if all of this hadn't happened, you know, the PTSD, the brain injury, would we have the life we have now? I don't think so. This is not what we saw for ourselves, but it's so much better. Karen, thank you so much for answering that for me because my heart opened you know, opened up so much and is so open to your story and your passage and your journey. And I can tell you that being on the receiving end, as you speak now, you are truly inspirational 
in terms of how you are framing, looking at the course of, of a lifetime and the yeah. challenges and the pains and the losses and the hurts and the traumas and and finding a way to you said turn you know finding treasure in you know trash and really finding you know triumph in all of the in all of the challenge you know you mentioned the top of our conversation about the values of the sacred feminine which you never quite named however as you continue to speak what i'm gleaning are the way you feel the values of the sacred feminine you know take action why don't you tell me more about the values of the sacred feminine as you see them, feel them? You know, it's so funny. Sometimes I forget to say the most important one, love. <laughs> so I'll start with love. Uh, yeah, I think the sacred feminine is about is, is about love. It's about equality, justice. Um, it's about inclusiveness, compassion, uh, being compassionate, generous. Um, you know, and, and I feel like it's, it's about restoring the common good, being in service, all of these, uh, all of these different things and their different layers to all of it. But I just feel like if we were walking the talk of those values every day, um, we would evolve as human beings. We would be vibrating at a higher frequency and vibration. And if there is such a thing as ascension, you know, I think those values are going to take us there. To me, it's about the social justice. It's about seeing the value in all of us. It's about seeing the sacredness in life again, being wise stewards of nature, get rid of the isms, you know, the misogyny, the predator capitalism, um, you know, all of these things that are destructive forces. We have to strive to make ourselves better human beings. You used a, a moniker, predator capitalism. It sounds like that's probably something you discuss in your book. Karen, I would love for people to be able to find you and to be able to find your, not only your most recent book, but the ones that have led up to it. Again, you are very inspirational, as well as for the passage that you had for the surgery that you had, which is something that many women also experience. And I I deeply appreciate your openness and your sincerity, and I deeply appreciate the work you're doing out of your experience. Where can you be found? Well, the hub for all things Karen uh, is my website, uh, karentate.net. If you go there uh, and the content is constantly being updated and added to, uh, you will find information about my books, uh, the services I offer, my podcast. Uh, you'll get links to conferences I've given talks at, classes I've given. Uh, just about all my work in the world can be found on one of those tabs uh, at karentate.net. Thank you very much. I would love to see your work go far and wide. I, I think you're really on to something that is absolutely necessary. And it's important. I appreciate that you point out the opening of our eyes to see what's happening, but not just that, where to go from there, what to do from there, so that we collectively become part of the healing process yeah. uh, and the process that will forge change in the way our cultures operate on those sacred feminine values instead of where we've been. I really appreciate it, Karen. All the best to you. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity, Dale. Thank you for listening to the Dale Allen Podcast. Please subscribe and join me for the powerful series coming up. 
Women of the World's Religions. Thank you.